family Sunday. Joel Farkas is in the house today. Glad to see that. Good deal. <clears throat> want to take a quick moment to thank Pastor James for a message last week. We took a pause in our series, Waking the Dead, to talk about the importance of Reformation Sunday, or the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther and his uh, articles for debate that he nailed, supposedly, on, uh, on the Wittenberg Church. And, um, and here we are today because of that. And uh, I really appreciated um, the words. I uh, learned a few things, and I'm, I'm glad they took the time to study that and, and bring that to us. But we want to get back to our series called Waking the Dead. And <clears throat> in this series, um, we're looking at this just absolutely bizarre passage in, in Ezekiel chapter 37, this vision that God gives the prophet Ezekiel. And we're trying to pick it apart a little bit so that we understand what's actually going on here and, and what it would have meant for the people in that day so that we can understand what it might mean for us today. And, and I want to hit the pause button just really quick and, and, and mention something about that. I think oftentimes where the church in general gets into trouble is when we try to make theological um, choices or decisions or stances based on how we read the scripture without understanding what it might have meant to the original readers. And so I think it's very important that we spend some time trying to get some historical context around these things in order for us to understand them better and then make the jump, then try to understand what it might mean for us today. And I'm kind of, kind of adamant about that because um, i got to be honest, sometimes I, I hear... Um, well, I don't want to be critical. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. But sometimes I hear things that um, people believe, and I just, I'm like, they're just goofy. I'm like, that's not where it came from. We need to understand and have a more robust understanding of, of the text and, and then make some, some judgment calls. <clears throat> so remember that, that a prophet is one who speaks for God, and, and so God takes this prophet, Ezekiel, and, and gives him this vision, brings him out to this place, this, this, this vision of a valley filled with dry bones. And if you, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, that <clears throat> in Jewish thought, this was the worst possible set of circumstances. There was nobody there to honor your life or your death. There was no way of figuring out who all these bones were. And, and it, it was an absolutely dire, desperate hopeless situation. And yet, God asks this completely absurd question. Uh, Ezekiel, can these bones live? It, it, it baffles the mind when we think that God would ask that question. And of course, good old Ezekiel answers correctly and says, well, only you know, Lord. You know, just, there you go. You, you tell me. Uh, obviously, I'm here for a particular reason. And so then God tells him to do something equally strange. He says, prophesy to the bones. Now remember, a prophet is one who speaks for God. And he says not to, to prophesy to a group of people, but to these bones. And if you'll remember that prophecy, at least in the, the language, means to instruct them. Instruct them typically in what God is going to do. And, and that's what we find. That's what we find in the, in the text. And we're going to read through that again. And so, so Ezekiel prophesies to the bones as he was asked, and the bones begin to rattle and move. 
the bones begin to rattle and move. I, I keep thinking that this is made for 4K movie cinematography, right? Here's, you, can, you can picture this kind of movie scene. You know, here's, here's Ezekiel giving this prophecy, and all of a sudden things start shaking a little bit. And, you know, if you've got kind of the Dolby surround sound, like in the movie theater, you can hear the rumbling, and, you know, because it's supposedly a whole lot of bones. And so I want to pick up the story and talk very briefly today about the importance of certain language that we read through here. There's some repetition that I think is very important. We're going to talk about it this week, and we're going to talk about it again next week. The repetition is worth our attention in this particular case. And so let's go into the text and let's reread this story and see what God has for Thrive Church today. So Ezekiel chapter 37, if you have a Bible or Bible app, you might want to turn there. We're going to start with uh, verse 1 and just read through. Uh, I think verse 10 is where I'm going to end up today. And then we'll pick up 11 through 14 next week. All right. The Valley of Dry Bones, Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. How many of you got that song going through your head right now? Yeah, okay, that's right. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. This is the word of the Lord, and we believe it. Now, there's a couple of things I want you to notice, but mostly um, today, I want to spend some time on a repeated word. It's the word life. Can these bones live? Look at this. Verse 3, can these bones live? Verse 5, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Verse 6, I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Verse 9, breathe into these slain that they may live. Now stop right there, okay? So we've got this idea of life. The Hebrew word here is chaya. Let me hear you say chaya. Sounds like a karate class. Yes, it does. Kaya. Kaya. It's a <laughs> I wonder if that was going to happen. So, so we have this, this word, this repeated word, life. And then in verse 9, it says, breathe into these slain that they may live. Breathe so that they may chaya. Okay. Now, what's interesting here is that this word, breathe, 
is the Hebrew word nafach. Let me hear you say nafach. <laughs> Man, what was that? <laughs> People spitting all over the place. Yeah, nafach. Sometimes this word nafach refers to blowing on a fire to get it to, to kindle, or oftentimes a, um, a, a blacksmith's forge. The idea of the bellows, right? This idea of blowing, this idea of breath, this idea of, of breathing into something. But the first time that it's used is in Genesis chapter 2. I want you to see this. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed, not hach, into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Very often in the New Testament, we hear this, this thing called um, the principle of first mention, where the author will use a word or a phrase or an image from somewhere previous in order to draw a parallel. I don't think that's necessarily what's happening here, but please understand that this word and that word are the same, and you must understand what's being communicated here. This is something only God can do, to breathe life into something. This is strictly within the realm of God. He did it for that first man, and he can do it here. Can these bones live? And God is saying, you better believe it. Nabach. He breathed life into them. It's a beautiful story. Only God can do this. And of course, it's confirmed in verse 10 <clears throat> that they actually, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life, chaya, and stood up on their feet a vast army. Now, two things quickly about that. First of all, a friend of mine asked me this one time ago, what happened to that army? I said, what do you mean what happened to that army? Oh, there's this big army. Did they go out and do something? I'm like, it's a vision. <laughs> it wasn't an actual army, it was a vision. And the whole point is to get the idea of what's going on. So don't get wrapped up in the fact that it's a vast army. The idea was there's just a lot of folks that were here. But last week we talked a little bit about order, that there's an order to these things. You've got to have bones and then you have to have flesh and then you can have life. There's an order to this thing. And we see that all um, kind of coming together in this scene that the, the bones and muscles were needed in order for them to stand if they were going to come to life. And very often what we want is we want life without the prerequisites, right? We want to do, we want all the benefit to it without doing the work. Uh, or if you remember from our last series a while back about fruit, you got to have roots and you got to have trunks and you have to have branches and you got to have leaves before you have fruit, right? But sometimes we want the fruit without all the supporting, all the supporting documentation as it, as it would be. And that's what we see here is that there's these prerequisites. There's the bones, then there's the muscles and tendons, and then there's life. And by the way, if, if you're if you're not experiencing the kind of growth that you want to see in your life, if you're not experiencing you know, things like you'd expect, it may be, might be, because you're missing a prerequisite. Or God is at work behind the scenes working on those prerequisites for you, okay? Uh, which is just a really fancy way of saying you, sometimes you've got to be patient. How many of you are great with patience? 
Yeah, I was going to say, liars, you at church, you know? Patience is, is the hard thing for us, but very often when we look at bones, flesh, and life, we want the life without everything else, but you can't jump over those. You can't have those things. You can't have life without those prerequisites. And if you're not experiencing the life that you're really hoping for, whatever that means to you, however you define it, there's a very good chance that God is either working on or there are some steps that you need to take as part of those prerequisites. Okay. Now, through this entire passage, we've learned a number of things. We've learned um, that our hopelessness is God's opportunity. Can I just say that that's one that I'm still learning? Um, another thing that happened just this week that reminded me of the fact that I was getting frustrated with something and just, and, and I was uh, working on this and I came across that and was like, oh yeah, my hopelessness, God's opportunity, great. <laughs> and then we learned that God's actions are always good, but they're very often surprising. And they are. Sometimes how I think they're going to they're gonna work out is not the way they work out, and yet they still work out. Does that happen to you? Where you're like, wait a minute, that's not what I expected, but this is okay, this works. And here's the thing that I want you to, to take today with you. If you don't remember Haya, <laughs> remember this. Here it is, one point. God's activity is always life-giving. God's activity in the end is always life-giving. Remember, only God breathes life. And it isn't interesting that Jesus mentioned that, that he had come to bring life and bring it at what? Abundantly, right? You've heard this before. He came to bring life and bring it abundantly. This is what God does. His activity is always, at some level, life-giving to human beings. It may not seem like that. And you have to keep the idea of surprise in mind. When you're talking about life-giving, you have to think about surprise as well. It's always life-giving, even in death. Have you heard of the resurrection? Think about that. There's the rabbi hanging on a Roman cross. You want to talk about hopeless. His disciples fled. They didn't even want to be in the, in the same vicinity. Take off running. And then three days later, empty tomb. Surprise! And of course, Jesus is life-giving for those who follow him. There's an order to this. Yes, it was hopeless. Yes, there was surprise. But ultimately, it was life and life in abundance. The challenge, of course, for all of us is to take that long view of things. To be patient. To, to look further down the road saying, this isn't all there is. There is still more to come, even though I don't necessarily see it. It might not seem like it now, but we can take comfort in the fact that God doesn't waste tragedy, ever. If he's a God of renewal and restoration and redemption, then whatever it is that you're going through can have some type of good that comes out of it, eventually. The question, I think the important question here, is how? How do we take a long view when life seems like it's falling apart? That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Because the vast majority of us, we get into those circumstances, the last thing we want to do is experience whatever that pain is. I don't like pain. I much prefer pleasure. 
But sometimes we have to go through that in order to get to the life-giving types of things that God wants for us. But how do you do that? How do you take that long-term view? We're on day number 42 of the 60-60 experiment. Remember, we've been doing this for a little while. So uh, basically what it means is that every 60 minutes, at least during the day, we have an alarm that goes off to remind us that God is present in our lives. Because I don't know about you, because I can forget that. I can get busy with things. I can be distracted by things. And I forget the fact that God is right here with me. And we need to interrupt that. And so that alarm helps me. I was talking to Pastor Dan about this uh, about a week ago, and both of us noticed that that alarm goes off at the most inconvenient times. I'm busy. I'm doing something, and it reminds me, and I got to stop, and I got to think, and I got to pray. And sometimes <clears throat> our collective minds are not in the right place, and God reminds us, "Hey, God's here." Great, sorry. <laughs> you know, that's the first thing that often happens. And we're trying to do this every sixty minutes for sixty days, and so we're on day number forty-two of that phrase. And I hope that you're taking that alarm to to pray and and remember it doesn't have to be a long prayer my wife calls them arrow prayers and i think that's very appropriate you just kind of fire that arrow and say god here's what's going on right now and hey god thanks for for just taking care of me today thanks for being with me today and reminding me that you're here just simple things and i just i encourage you to, to say those those prayers but i don't i don't know if you've had the same experience as i have but I've noticed that answers to certain prayers take time. And they're often hidden. Have you noticed that? I like when things are obvious. I like having a firm grasp of the obvious. But very often when I'm dealing with God, there are things that are going on that, that I don't understand. And I want to not experience those things right now because I don't see how it could possibly be good. I don't, I don't understand that. And so what do you do when you're praying and nothing happens? What do you do when you're praying and the prayers seem to be bouncing back off of the ceiling? What do you do when heaven seems silent or God's given you a busy signal? What, what, what do you do when nothing happens and you're still struggling and you're still suffering? What do you do? Because that's real. It's one thing to stand up here and go, rah, 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 yay, God. But the vast majority of us have something in our lives that we would prefer not to be experiencing right now. Be honest. You got something, so do I. If not, God bless you. Please pray for the rest of us. Right? So what do you do? How do you handle in order, to, in order to take that long view, let me offer you one suggestion. I'm not saying this is the only one. I'm just saying this is the one that, that I try to remember. Pray this. Make it count. Just make it count. There is pain and suffering. God, let it mean something. Make it count some way. 
Maybe another way we could say this is, God, breathe some life into this. My friend is sick. Please make it better, but God, make it count for something. Life is too busy. I am overloaded, and I'm tired, and I'm exhausted. I need help, but please make this count for something. I've got this hurt that just won't heal. I've got this hang-up that I can't get over. I have this habit I just can't shake. Please show your strength in my weakness, but God, make it count for something. Money is tight. Teach me what really matters. Make this count. Things are happening that I don't fully understand. There are changes going on that I don't really like. Help me to trust you, God. But please, please, please make it count. There is something painful about that statement and something incredibly liberating at the same time. Breathe life into this thing.